Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm going to read uh, the entire chapter. There's 27 verses. It's a bit lengthy. But important that we read it in its entirety. And this is God's word. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, He sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant Two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. 
And in this matter may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Remen to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Remen. When I bow myself in the house of Remen, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this name in the Syrian, in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand, put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. He went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep, and oxen, male servants, and female servants. Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. And so he went out from his presence a leper like snow. Well, let's ask God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we pray that, that your word would penetrate our hearts and souls. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would hear it and be changed. We ask, Heavenly Father, that upon hearing we may bear fruit. Sanctify us by your word, for your word is truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You might be asking yourself, it's Mission Emphasis Week, why did I pick this passage in 2 Kings chapter 5, this passage about Naaman? Well, I'm continuing that, uh, the thought that we began this morning in, from 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God gave the growth. And God gets the glory. That was this morning. Tonight I just simply want to focus on God gives the growth God's way. God gives the growth God's way. And I think we'll, you'll see as we get toward the end of the message how this ties in so very well to Mission Emphasis Week. In both the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, the backdrop of their ministries was the idolatrous cult of Baalism. Baal was the god of thunder, or thunderstorms and rain, supposedly, that produced crops 
And so he was the God of fertility. And the miracles that we read of, both with Elijah and Elisha, were polemical statements declaring that Yahweh is the true God and Baal is false. And in their, well, first and, and second kings cover a period of about 400 years of history. First and second kings covers about 400 years of history. When you come to second kings chapter five, as I said, it's a, it's a bit of a lengthy story. We read the, it in its entirety. Why is so much space given in, in this history, 400 years history of Israel, why is so much biblical real estate given to this story about Naaman? I think that's a good question to ask. It, there must be a reason that God inspired the writer to include this whole story with all of its sort of background and interesting aspects to it. But why? What's the significance? Well, one reason I think that is, it, it is that there is this much in 2 Kings given to Naaman is to highlight the wisdom of God in contrast to the wisdom of this world, in contrast to the wisdom of man. God here is working. And he brings about the salvation of Naaman, this foreigner, through the influence of nobodies. Notice that. A little slave girl of Naaman's wife. She's a servant of Naaman's wife. She used to live in Israel. She had been taken by, in one of the raids. She's not named. She has no rights. She's a nobody, snatched from her family, captured, became a slave, and yet she held fast and knew in her memory that there was a prophet, a true prophet in Israel. Prophet of God. And by her remembering and speaking to her mistress, this brought about the healing of Naaman, physically and spiritually. And then after Elisha sends his messenger to tell him to dip seven times in the Jordan River, Naaman is ready to turn around. He's angry. And the slaves, his servants, really say, really, Naaman? You're going to come all this way in order to be healed, and he tells you just to dip in the river seven times, and you're not going to do it? Naaman, it's an easy thing. He didn't ask you to climb Mount whatever. He just said, go dip in the river. And they got through to Naaman. 
And so Naaman does that. They convinced him to obey Elisha's directions. And God once again uses nobodies. We don't know their names. They're not, they're not, uh, that's not given to us in this passage, but God uses nobodies to fulfill his purpose. God does use, as Paul says, the weak things of this world to confound the wise. And then also, it highlights the wisdom of God in contrast to the wisdom of this world in the entire circumstances of of Naaman's cleansing and his conversion. Naaman brought with him from Syria a huge gift of clothing and silver and gold, the products of commerce and enterprise and trade. And Elisha, when it was offered him, refuses. Elisha refuses vehemently. Why? Well, the reason that Elisha refuses is to make clear, to make the point that God's grace is truly undeserved. It is undeserved. There's no amount of money that can buy it. It is beyond price. And this is why Gehazi is punished so severely. He sought to undo what God had done. He tried to put a price on the goodness of God, on the grace of God, on the mercy of God. But God's grace is a free gift. And you know, so there's times in Scripture where it might rattle us a little bit. We might, we might read that and say, whoa, why so severe? You think about Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who brought strange fire, and God struck them dead immediately. Or you think about Uzzah, who was simply trying to keep the ark from falling into the mud, and he was struck down dead immediately. And as I so appreciate R.C. Sproul saying, Uzzah didn't quite understand, or he, he wrongly thought that his hands were cleaner than the mud. <laughs> that was, his hands were less defiled than the mud. And you recall Aaron, when his two sons died, were struck down. He was very upset, very angry, and God says, Among those who draw near me, I will be sanctified. God, in those instances, would not compromise his holiness. And in this instance, he would not compromise his grace. And so we see this leprosy passed on to Gehazi and his posterity. You see, this is highlighting the wisdom of God in contrast to the wisdom of this world. 
Naaman comes to Elisha in great need. He has leprosy. Elisha doesn't even go out to him. He sends a messenger says, go wash seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be cleansed. How can that cleanse? Well, that, that was certainly Naaman's response, wasn't it? How can that cleanse? We have cleaner, nicer rivers in Damascus, in Syria. How can me dipping into the Jordan River? I've not yet uh, in my lifetime been to Israel, so I have not seen the Jordan River with my uh, with my eyes, I, well, I've seen it in pictures, but not in real life. But I've heard from people who have that it's no great shakes. <laughs> it's not that wonderful uh, to look at. And so probably Na- Naaman said the same thing. I've seen the Jordan River. It's kind of muddy. It's dirty. Why would I? How is that going to clean? And the reason is because God said it's going to clean him. That's the reason. God said it will clean him. Naaman needed to trust God's word and be cleansed God's way. And God's ways are not our ways. And it's in this area that many people stumble, isn't it? That the way I am to be cleansed is to trust in Jesus of Nazareth who died a cursed death on the cross? God says, yes. The only way you will be cleansed is my way and that is through Jesus Christ who is the only way. No one can come to me but through him. That is the only way. And people say, I don't like the blood theology. There must be some other way. There must be some other pathway. God says, no. It's through blood that you are redeemed. It's through blood that you are cleansed. And many stumble at that. Paul brings this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where is the one who is wise, he says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And Naaman needed to trust the word of God and be cleansed God's way. Well, Naaman does that and he is cleansed. And he comes back and of course offers all that wealth to Elisha who rejects it. And then he vows to worship only Yahweh. It's amazing. It's such an amazing passage. The Syrian general, an outsider, being brought into the company of God's people. And what's so striking is this is at a time where in contrast the people of God were being unfaithful. 
while they were bringing Baal into the land, the promised land, Naaman is trying to take out some of that land to bring with him to foreign country so that he may offer his worship on this land. It's amazing. All of this is to highlight the wisdom of God, but it also highlights the judgment of God. This passage highlights the judgment of God as well. In Luke chapter 4, in fact, why don't you turn there with me, if your Bibles are still open. Luke chapter 4, it's a great passage that ties in with our passage. Verse 18, well, we'll start at verse 16. Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up to try to kill Jesus. What is Jesus saying here? He brings in this story, brings in the story of Naaman. What is he saying? He reminds them that Naaman was healed when no other Israelite leper was healed. Well, I think to understand this, we need to, again, understand what was happening in Elisha's time where the Israelites were bringing into uh, the promised land. And yet they were saying, but we are Abraham's children. We are we have the covenant. We are the covenant people of God. Presuming on God's grace. You know what Jesus said to those who came to him and said, we are Abraham's children? He said God could raise up stones to praise him. You see, this is a wake-up call. 
not to trust in covenant privilege, but in the God of the covenant. It's a wake-up call. And I think, congregation, there is that this is particularly a danger among confessional reformed churches. To trust in our covenant privilege and ignore the God of the covenant. I think that is a real danger. It's sort of a reformed formalism, isn't it? It's a position that says, we have the confessions and the creeds, and we have the heritage. We have Heidelberg and we have Dord. We have this great heritage from John Calvin and the Puritans. We have this wonderful heritage. The, the thing is, but do you have Christ? That's the thing. That's the issue. Now, I am not in any way disparaging our, our, our uh, confessions or our creeds by no means. In fact, we should rejoice in them because they, are, they, they point us and give us definition to the Christ we, pro we profess. They help us in that. But they're not an end to themselves. We have the confessions. We have our, our Reformed tradition. We have the heritage. But do you have Christ? Do you have Christ? Do not presume on that covenant privilege. We must not drift into that Reformed Phariseeism, trusting in the doctrine rather than trusting in Christ. which the doctrine lays out for us. In other words, it could be very easy for us, like Ephesus, to lose our first love. And I think that's exactly what Jesus was saying in Luke chapter 4. Naaman is healed. And that's God's judgment on you. But this passage also is given to highlight the largeness of God's grace. The largeness of God's grace. In congregation, this is where I want to, I, this is where I want us to, to sit for a while. <laughs> to to let's, let's rest in this for a bit. Let's relax in this for a bit. This is why the Nazarenes were so angry with Jesus. Because Naaman was a foretaste of Gentile salvation. It is as though they forgot that wonderful promise that God made to Abraham. That through your seed will all the nations be blessed. And I don't know why 
that seem to have been forgotten. Maybe the scribes didn't really put much emphasis on that part, or I don't know, but it, it seemed to be forgotten. And when Jesus brings it up, they didn't like it at all. Through your seed shall all the nations be blessed. And we can see that, can't we, in Jesus' own uh, genealogy, his own lineage with Rahab and Ruth. These have come in. You see it in Jesus' ministry with the Roman centurion, the Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite woman, the Samaritan woman. You see it in Revelation chapter 7, don't we, where there's a great multitude that no one can number from every tribe and nation and people praising God. What's happening? Do you know what's happening? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's what's happening. In 2 Kings chapter 5, that's what's happening. The vastness of God's grace made the Nazarenes furious. But when you've received that grace, when you've recognized that you were in darkness and brought into God's marvelous light, that when you've tasted that, that you've been brought out of the pit and set your feet on solid ground, you who were destined and deserving of eternal condemnation has been brought into the family of God and are the recipient of eternal life and blessedness that no eye has seen nor ear heard nor entered into our minds. Once you, once you get to realize the amazing largeness of God's grace, that amazing grace that's brought to you through Jesus Christ, oh, it, it leaves you in, in, in wonder. It leaves you in, in breathless with awe and gratitude. What has God done? How amazing is that grace? It's inexplicably joyous to you. It shakes you and it shapes you. Second Kings chapter 5 is about the grace of God. Second Kings chapter 5 is about the God of grace who so loved the world. He allowed a little Israelite girl to be captured so that a Syrian general could be made whole by the gracious work of the God of heaven. Second Kings chapter 5 shows us the heart of God. It's like a neon sign in the Old Testament. A neon sign in the Old, this old, the old Covenant that's flashing for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. That's the heart of God. And so, brothers and sisters, that should be our heart as well, to think God's thoughts after him. 
And this is why we should be engaged and passionate about spreading this glorious message of salvation to this world that needs to hear it so desperately. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great grace. And thank you, Lord, that we have a passage such as this that where Naaman, who has leprosy, is healed from that defilement. But Lord, you have so also healed us from the defilement of sin. And you have cleansed us your way through Jesus Christ. And so we praise you and we thank you. Words cannot express our gratitude. But Lord, we do say that we love you because you have first loved us. And we thank you. May we bear witness faithfully to our community, to the world, that we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We've been cleansed. And we are heirs of eternal life with our Savior, Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Well, let's uh, respond uh, together singing Psalm 22D. Psalm 22D, the ends of all the earth shall hear and turn unto the Lord in fear. Let's uh, sing the four stanzas, standing to sing Psalm 22D.
now, congregation, receive the Lord's benediction, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.